against your two friends. For you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you. For I will accept his prayer, not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has done. So Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, went and did what the Lord had told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then there came to him all his brothers and sisters who had known him before, and they ate bread with him in his house. They showed him sympathy and comforted him <clears throat> for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He named the, he named the first Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapuk. In all the land there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and his children's children, four generations. And Job died old and full of days. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Let us pray. <coughs> Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you this day. That as we finish up this series, as we finish looking into this book of Job, you would continue to open our hearts and minds to not only know you, but to trust you, to risk our lives, to love you, our neighbors, and this whole creation. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I invite you to take out your notes page as we get started today. As always, you will find in it our scripture lesson for the day that you can mark up as you please, as well as some notes that I have pulled out of this sermon. Uh, but you are more than uh, will, uh, you are more than able to add notes as well as you go along. Just those thoughts and ideas that stick with you from this message to take out into the world for your daily devotion time or as you seek to share this message with others. You know, in 2013, I had uh, surgery to reconstruct my left ACL after I had torn it uh, in a bicycle accident in Washington, D.C. when I was returning from class downtown one day. I remember the healing process was uh, long and tough. I had actually torn my ACL in October. That was when the accident was, and uh, thank God it was really just a torn ACL, a, a torn MCL, a, and a, just a bone bruise and a minor stress fracture. That was, that was it. Um, but I remember I didn't have the surgery until May of 2013. And then even after the surgery, it took about six months of physical therapy before I was able to graduate from physical therapy. And as a matter of added perspective, I still have difficulties with it today because uh, the graft that they put in did not actually, uh, isn't tight.
in Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you had heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people, to the praise of his glory. And last but not least, we hear from Mark chapter 6, and it's verses 14 through 23. 29, the death of John the Baptist. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' Jesus's name had been known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead. For this reason, these powers are at work in him. But others said, it is Elijah. And others said, it is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I baptized, excuse me, John, who I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother's Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet to, her, to his quarters and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guest. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you, even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? She replied, The head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved, yet out of regard for the, his oaths and for the guest, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately, the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is the word of God for the children of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father God, with the message that I prepared, let it be your words that speak through me, your humble servant. So I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> so thank you, Katrina. Getting close to the mic. 
I thought I was up into it pretty good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so thank you, Katrina, for <clears throat> that long and drawn-out uh, scripture lesson. Um, the scriptures for today's lesson come from the UMC lectionary. And if you don't know anything else about me, is that when I speak from the lectionary, I like to use all of the scriptures and try to tie them in together into at least a hopefully cohesive message. Um, after all, someone much smarter than me assembled this and for a reason. Okay. Also, I kind of like a challenge, and I got my challenge. <laughs> Tying these scriptures together was definitely a challenge. Um, thank God uh, I had a month to do it. <laughs> all right, so at first reading, me speech rather than be turned away. Who is this woman? What kind of person is Naomi to have engendered that degree of loyalty? Well, I will say that it is the rock, the solid fulcrum that God used to move the world. Okay, we'll get back to that. Before we do, I'd like to explore that Kesha thing a little more. Steadfast kindness. That is what Naomi practiced at every turn of her life. She was steadfast to her husband, who she trusted and followed into the unknown. She stood fast by her sons when they chose wife among the Moabites. And then she shared that steadfast kindness with those foreign wives after they lost everything. It is Keshet that's the reason Ruth clings to Naomi, and I want you to think, how can we bring this Keshet into our own lives? Where can we find opportunities to exert a true steadfast kindness to others? I propose that it's every day, that it's every waking moment of our, that we can practice Keshet. In fact, and here's the real secret, Keshet not only lifts those up around you, but the very practice of this steadfast kindness will lift you up as well. Easy, right? Win-win? Not so easy, as we all know. Life gets in our way. Life renders itself us tired, hungry, scared, resentful, angry. That is human. So where can we turn to transcend these human limitations? Hmm. I don't really need to answer that, do I? Because you're here, because you know, because we have the teaching of our Lord and Savior, and because we have our sisters and brother in Christ to lift us up to give their steadfast kindness when we need it most. And that is how it works. That is the gears and wheels of God's love in action. It's not magic, it's not a divine glory that shines down like an illumination of, like a medieval illumination, I'm sorry. It's a simple kind word given to by a friend, an acquaintance, a stranger even. It's the word you can give to others. It's the shoulder you can put to the wheel when your neighbor's card is married in the problems of this world. It's the chesed, the steadfast kindness, the simple expression of God's love. That is his lever. And it is you who are the fulcrum. Together you will continue to move the world. Okay, enough metaphors. Back to Naomi. Why then was she so important? Why was she such a critical part of God's plan? Well, the book of Ruth has a surprise ending, an unexpected twist. You would think it ends with a bit of morality, a caution against intermarriages or impurity on the part of Yahweh's follower, perhaps a parable 
to illustrate the hazard of Israeli men taking idolatrous wives. Or perhaps it was revised after the Babylonian exile to justify intermarriages for those returning Israelites who had taken spouses outside of the faith. But it is neither. Like a modern romance novel, Ruth has won the heart of Boaz and married him. And lo, she's with child and bears him a son. Happily ever after, right? Well, yes, but let's look at the final four verses of Ruth. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obad. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Read it again. Naomi has a son. Not Ruth, not Boaz, Naomi. It is Naomi who is given credit for weaving the divine pattern within our lives. It's her steadfast kindness that built a family tree for King David and the future lineage of our Lord Jesus Christ. His, his, this, this history is not concerned with either purity or defilement, either prohibition or permission. It's not a cautionary tale, nor does it tell us of God, God's wrath or even his forgiveness. Why then was it written? The book of Ruth, the story of Naomi, tells us all of a magnificent reward to those who practice in this fence cashed. The book of Ruth begins with the suffering of Naomi and ends with her joy. The destiny of Naomi and Ruth are interlocked by their steadfast kindness. They are now one family and one faith. This is the happily after of this story. Thank you. 